Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Inside the Studio on iHeartRadio. My name's Jordan Runtog, but enough about me. My guest today is known as the concierge of rock and roll, and the title is well-earned. If you had to pick, he's perhaps best known for his role in the E Street Band, where he served as guitarist, arranger, occasional co-producer, and full-time confidant and right-hand man to his old buddy Bruce Springsteen. His departure from the group in 1984, just before the astronomical success of the Born in the USA album sent them stratospheric, struck many as career suicide. But that's when the adventure really began. He experienced a political awakening and set his sights on dismantling apartheid. To say he took a hands-on role is putting it mildly. He risked his life meeting with activists on their home turf, illegally sneaking into a South African township hidden under a blanket in the back seat of a car. He organized a mind-boggling coalition of musicians under the name Artists United Against Apartheid, and the resulting single, Sun City, was a crucial step towards ending the humanitarian atrocities in South Africa and freeing Nelson Mandela. When he wasn't fighting global injustice, he was busy recording a string of critically acclaimed albums with and without his new group, the eminently funky Disciples of Soul. In 1999, he broke into acting on a little cable series known as The Sopranos. That same year, he rejoined the E Street Band, but his solo workload remained constant. In 2002, he began hosting his radio show, Little Steven's Underground Garage, and started his own label, Wicked Cool Records. Both are dedicated to the preservation of rock and roll, both new and old. He also starred in and co-wrote the first original Netflix series, Lilyhammer, and started the aptly named nonprofit, the Rock and Roll Forever Foundation. 
frankly, he has far too many activities to sum up here. And now we can add author to his lengthy CV. He recently published his fantastic memoir, Unrequited Infatuations. He's a man of many faces. There's Miami Steve, Little Stevie, Silvio Dante, and Frank the Fixer, just to name a few. And we're thrilled to have all of them here today. I'm so happy to welcome Mr. Steven Van Zandt. I hope you enjoy our chat. I absolutely adored your book. I mean, one of the things that I loved about it so much was that I could hear your voice in my head. It sounded like you. It was like I could imagine the audiobook playing as I was reading it. It definitely had you all over it, which is amazing. Well, yeah, that was the idea, you know. In fact, uh, that's how I wrote it. I, I wrote it with the audio in mind. You know, I mean, I, I did do the audio book also, but uh, I thought, you know, let me write it the way I speak. And uh, and I explained to the editor and uh, and the uh, publisher, I said, you know, this is not going to look right. It's not going to be <laughs> grammatically correct. <laughs> but um, but if, if you read it the way I'm going to write it, I, you're going to hear my voice. So, yeah, that worked out. That worked out good. Oh, it's so awesome. I mean, the book comes after a really productive last few years. It made your soul, your solo record, Soul Fire. You reformed the Disciples of Soul and you had the Summer of Sorcery. Did doing those records reconnect you to a certain part of yourself? Like, what made you decide to, to tackle this book now? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, was, that was a big part of it. Um, I, and like most of my life, I didn't plan it. I didn't, uh, <laughs> you know, I didn't... Uh, I didn't expect to get back into the music business at all. Um, it's happened by just by pure circumstance. Uh, uh, at the end of the uh, E Street tour in 2016, uh, this uh, British uh, promoter just said, you know, when are you coming back to London? And uh, I said, well, me and Maureen, you know, we, we, we come back for her birthday every year. But this year we're going to come back a little earlier for uh, for Bill Wyman's 80th birthday party. He invited us to his party, and he said, "Well, that's the same week as my as my blues festival. Why don't you throw a band together <laughs> and headline one of the nights?" I mean, this is how my this is how my how crazy my life is, you know. I was like, "Headline one of the nights?" I said, "I, I haven't fronted a band in 30 years," you know. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, come on, it's like riding a bicycle. <laughs> I said, yeah, it's a, it's a big bicycle. But anyway, uh, <laughs> but the, I don't know, the more I thought about it, it, it sounded like fun, you know? I thought, well, you know, I'll bring back the horns, you know, uh, like, I, like I did on, used on my first, very first solo album. And, um, and uh, it'll be fun, you know, I'll get a chance to play some Paul Butterfield stuff, you know, with the horns that nobody ever hears. Uh, the electric flag stuff that nobody yeah. ever hears, you know, nobody's, you know, and, uh, you know, and I do a few of my own. And so we start rehearsing some of my old songs, which I haven't li literally thought about for 30, 40 years. I was like, damn, <laughs> you know, these things are pretty good. You know, they're, they're kind of interesting. You know, they, I mean, the one thing about not being fashionable, you know, ever <laughs> is that you end up being timeless, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, uh, and I thought, you know, these things are, they're kind of like their own genre, you know, this, this rock meets soul thing, you know, that I created with Southside Johnny. Um, it kind of, it holds up in some weird way because it was never, it was never, you know, it was never trendy, you know? So, so uh, it kind of has its own space. And I thought, man, 
uh, a lot of these songs and even the subject matter, uh, unfortunately, was still relevant, you know, 30, 40 years later, you know, which is a shame uh, in some cases. But uh, I was just like, man. And so I, I, I reconnected to my life's work. And, uh, and I didn't realize really that I kind of abandoned it for literally three decades. Um, but I was, it was really very, very, uh, very helpful to do that. And, and, uh, and then, um, one thing led to another and another and another, and the same band hung in there with me, terrific band, Mark Ribbler put together for me. And, uh, suddenly a whole new album, you know, the soul, the soul fire record was just for fun, uh, songs I'd written for other people, you know, I, I, we had nothing, I had nothing to do. Um, you know, I was going to do a TV show and then that fell through at the last minute. And then uh, Bruce, we were thinking about touring, but then Bruce decided to do Broadway, you know, and uh, suddenly, uh, you know, I had nothing to do. Uh, so uh, I said, well, you know, maybe I'll make a record of, of uh, well, the, the, the blues gig went, was so good and so much fun. But I thought, damn, you know, we should, we should you know, keep this together somehow a little bit and, and uh, maybe we'll do a, do a record of songs I've written for other people. And that, and that was Soulfire. And then somebody said, I want to see this live. And they paid for a tour. And one thing led to another. And before you know it, uh, new, new songs started coming to me out of the blue. And, uh, and it was really a gift, man. Summer of Sorcery was just a gift from the gods, literally. And I was like, wow, man. You know? Uh, and, and, and it ended up putting out not only those two records, but, but a total of six album packages in three years. You know, we remastered the whole catalog. We put out the Lilyhammer score. Um, you know, and uh, the live two live albums, you know, from the tours, because my live my live show is really um, it's really a show. You know, what I mean, it's 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 yeah. a it's not a random bunch of songs. You know, it, it's a very thematic show, and, and uh, so the live records are quite valid uh, uh, artistically th themselves. So we ended up doing six album packages, and I was like, so uh, and and touring the world, you know, twice. So it was kind of good timing to have a quarantine, you know. I I, I just been on the road for a long time, I, and I reconnected to my work, and I I felt a little closure, you know. I felt a little bit of, you know what, you know, if, if Summer of Sorcery is my last tour ever, uh, you know, I'm okay with that, you know. And so I felt like I had a, a, a beginning, middle, and an end of the book, and um, you know, so use that quarantine to to to, to write it. Did you learn anything about yourself? writing this book when you saw it all down on paper did it change your perspective on any part of your life you know it, it really did because uh, I more or less for 40 years now I've been kind of beating myself up a little bit um, thinking you know um, maybe uh, maybe I could have done what I did after I left the band um, if I you know if I've been able to stay in the band you know, maybe I could have done both things, you know? Uh, you know, I never really, really analyzed it. And I never, you know, I don't think about it too much. I really don't look look back too often. But in the back of my mind, I always felt, geez, I, I, I wish I could have done both things. But when I went back and really lived it and really transported myself back and, and really lived those days, I realized there's, there's no way. There's no way. <laughs> I don't know how you did it without the band. <laughs> yeah, it was really, you know, and uh, and I realized that uh, the, I think the the one one of the reasons for writing the book because I wanted the book to be useful mostly, you know, 
I mean, you know, and, and, uh, and I, and I, you know, and I told, uh, I told the editor, uh, Ben Greenman, who was a terrific editor. I said, listen, just keep me honest here. I want to, I want to, I want to balance three things, you know? Uh, yes, we have to do the narrative, obviously, but that's the least interesting part to me. I want to make sure we have the history in there because all I missed was the first decade of rock and roll. The rest I kind of observed first person, you know? So I want to get the history in there for the younger generations that may not know how this stuff went down and uh, might be interested in that. And, 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 and the third track is, is the crafts, you know, all the crafts that I've been involved with, um, you know, and, and, you, and you, you never stop learning, of course, but, but I thought, you know, maybe I could, you know, give a couple of uh, observations that might be helpful. So I wanted it to be useful that way. And, and, and what happens is as I'm, as I'm writing it, I realize, you know, it's really kind of like two books. You know, the first half of the book, local kid from Jersey makes it to the top of rock and roll, you know? And that's a terrific story by itself. It really, really is. But the second half kind of gets more interesting. And I think the themes start to broaden when I leave the band. And I wasn't changing jobs at that point. I was ending my life, you know? Uh, that's how it felt. And uh, look, literally staring off at the edge of a cliff, you know, uh, nowhere to go. No, no thoughts as to what I was going to do. And um, uh, in spite of that, uh, everything I've accomplished in my life happened after that. You know, when I thought my life was over uh, and I thought this could be helpful to somebody, I think, you know, because I think everybody gets disappointed in, 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 in their lives and, and, uh, and maybe they think it's over and, you know, there's no plan B and you got nowhere to go. Uh, but I, if you can find a way to move forward somehow, just keep moving forward uh, and, and not succumb to the, you know, to, to, to giving up and to, to you know, the, doing drugs or drinking or committing suicide or, and I considered all of those things, you know, if you could find a way to just, um, just avoid those, those pitfalls and, and kind of keep moving forward. Destiny has a way of surprising you. And, uh, and I think I'm the, a really good example of that, you know, because I mean, everything I've accomplished in my life happened after I thought my life was over, you know? And, and so I thought, well, that, that maybe that's going to be useful, you know. Maybe, you know, so it's those kind of things that that motivated me to actually write it, you know, write write the book. I liked how the uh, the subhead of the book was a cautionary tale, which I laughed at because I to, say, to me, reading it back seems like a life well lived to me. Well, but you know, I, I throw in a little, you know, a couple of a couple of nuggets <laughs> along the way that I picked up, <laughs> and one of which is never leave your power base until you have a new one. You know, and, and I and I hope people listen to that <laughs> because, you know, it doesn't matter how powerful you are in that power base. And, and, and you're lucky to have a power base, of course, you know, in the first place. Right. Uh, and you're feeling a certain, uh, I don't know, feeling of success or a feeling of power. And you go off and you leave it behind. It's amazing how quickly. You know, you go from being a force of nature to completely irrelevant. I mean, it's 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 shocking how quickly it happens. 
And I think that that's something that everybody should pay attention to. You know, no matter how powerful you are, no matter how successful you are, man, you better know where you're going because uh, things change. You know, (laughs) things change in ways you think you think you think your success is locked and concrete or, you know, and it's not. It's not, you know, so. Yeah. The the title of the book is such a great title, Unrequited Infatuations. I mean, I was thinking about a lot about what it meant and why you may have chosen it. And the more I thought about it, I thought that's such a great primary motivator for rock and roll, you know? I mean, that pent-up passion, that yearning, that desire to be seen. Uh, I mean, maybe that says more about me than it does about you in the book title. But but what what led you to, uh, to, to that phrase as the title? Again, I'm looking for more universal themes than just a music book for music people, you know? <laughs> uh, and, and there's plenty of that in there. But, but uh, I thought to myself, you know, even, even somebody like me, who is very successful with the E Street Band, uh, very successful with Sopranos and Lilyhammer, uh, even successful politically with the Sun City Project. Um, even somebody like me, uh, most of my most personal projects um, never found an audience. You know, uh, none of my solo records succeeded. You know, commercially. Um, Going back and really re-examining them artistically, I, I wouldn't change a thing, to tell you the truth. You know, I mean, I, I was totally happy with, with, with everything I did artistically. But commercially, I uh, never had that one hit, and which is really, you know, a big difference. A big difference between no hits and one hit, you know. Uh, you know, it's nice if you have 10 hits or 20 hits or 30 hits, but one hit is what is what makes the difference which I never had. So, so you, you are constantly uh, struggling to find ways of, of working, you know, uh, finding, finding a patron, finding a deal. You constantly, it's, it's one long negotiation. It's, it's one long audition. It's, you know, it's a constant sort of fight. And I, you know, instead of me spending, you know, 90% of my time uh, artist, on, on art and creativity and 10% on business, it's the opposite, you know? And, and, and I'm, you know, I'm being kind to myself saying I spend 10% on, on, on the creativity. It's probably more like 1%, you know? I mean, I you know, spend every day, all day, you know, looking for money to pay for this overhead that I've created with, you know, the radio's format and the radio stations and the record company and the, and you know and, and the foundation and this and that you know and some of these things now pay for themselves but a lot of them don't you know uh never made money with the radio show it's the most one of the most popular radio shows in the world and one of the most you know i have three stations on on Sirius satellite now and um you know we're on uh, we're in 100 countries with the, with the syndicated show and it loses money, you know. And what are you going to do? I mean, people depend on it. They, you know, we have the only rock and soul format in the world. I mean, if we disappear, forget it. You know, we 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 we've introduced over a thousand new bands in twenty years. A thousand, you know. Uh, now, you know, uh, and and they are going to have nowhere to go if we disappear, literally. Uh, you, you know. So it's it's too important, you know. It's 
it's too big to fail. <laughs> As the expression goes, <laughs> it's too it's too popular to fail. Let's put it that way. And um, so you know, these things continue to be a struggle. Uh, so so you know, most of my most personal work um, has not found an audience, and so. Um, that's among the unfat, you know, the the, un, the unrequited infatuations. Uh, but again, I, I think most people experience that, and uh, I'm, I was trying to emphasize the universal themes. Like I said, the second half of the book um, goes from you know the music thing to a bigger search for identity, a search for purpose in life, a search for spiritual uh, enlightenment. You know, uh, and those are the bigger themes that I think everybody can relate to. Can relate to it, and uh, and I wanted to do that. I wanted it to be uh, more, you know, a, a bigger book than just uh, for music people. You know? Yeah. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. I mean, speaking of... of Themes. I mean, the the book was was so cinematic. I mean, you know, I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but I mean, opening with with you know you in the back of a of a car being being smuggled into South Africa. I mean, I could just see it playing out like a movie. Which begs the question: I wanted to ask you, uh, what would be the theme song to uh, to this book? If this uh, if there was a you know a, if you're putting together a soundtrack to your life, what do you feel like would kick things off or you know sum things up? Oh, well, I don't know, man. Uh, you know. Uh... 
every album has its has its uh, has its themes, you know. So it depends on what mood you're in, <laughs> what, what phase of your life. I'm not sure any, any one thing sums it all up. I mean, maybe um, you know, maybe until the good is gone, something like that. You know, from my first album, you know, uh, or Soul Fire from my one of my recent records. You know, uh, something like that. Something uh, you know, solidarity, maybe something you know, one of the more universal type of themes. You know, man, those are all good choices. I know you, you talk in your book about uh, seeing the Beatles on on Sullivan in February '64 as a you know major turning point in your life, a musical big bang, and not just because of their sound and their look, but the fact that they were a band. And I feel like that's something that a lot of people miss now. That you, you know. The, Talk a little bit more about just the importance of a band and what that meant in 1964 and how transformative that was to to, to young people. It's it's a it's it's a little little hard to imagine, but there were no bands. Uh, there was you you didn't see four or five guys singing and playing, you know, you didn't see it. Uh, if you went to your high school dance, it was an instrumental group, <laughs> you know. If you went to somebody's wedding, you know. <laughs> They were older guys, you know. Frankie Yankovic doing polka stuff. Well, yeah, <laughs> you, you know, yeah. Uh, uh, but, but you you know, so suddenly here's four guys <laughs> and, and soon to be followed by 15 other bands that are four or five guys. Um, and introducing uh, the band idea, um, which was a totally different communication. Uh, to people like me, especially, who really didn't fit in anywhere. You know, I, I, I was not really enjoying the options I was being offered by society. I just, you know, I didn't see where my future was at all. And suddenly here was a glimpse at what could be the future. And, it, it you know, if you're a solo act, it's all about me, 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 you know. Uh, you either fall in love with me or you don't. You know, and um, band uh, is just a, was a different communication. It's it's friendship, it's the family, it's the team, the posse, the gang, however you want to put it. Uh, you know, guys working towards a common goal together. You know, it's, it's all kinds of whole different texture to it, and uh, and that that's what appealed to me. You know. Uh, uh, and not even the show business aspects of it, because I wasn't a big fan of show business at that time. Uh, you know, when you're—I mean, I, I like it now, but but back then, hmm. you're building your identity, and you are what you like, and um, you're searching. Uh, and 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 um, I, I always connect the Beatles um, with the Rolling Stones, which came four months later. Uh, they came four months later and, and uh, a different variety show called Hollywood Palace. And uh, Dino. Uh, yeah, Dino. <laughs> and I witnessed my past and my future there. <laughs> Dean Martin relentlessly made fun of them. Yeah. Uh, you know, as he was supposed to, you know, uh, which I didn't have a problem with, you know. Uh, Keith Richards, you know, don't bring it up to this day. <laughs> <laughs> because you know <laughs> he's still pissed off about it, but uh, but I was like, of course they're gonna make fun of them, you know. Uh, but what was important to me 
you know, because the Beatles were, we, were, we, we discovered them halfway through the career. And, and, and they were extremely good by then. I mean, they were, they were perfect, okay? I mean, the harmony was amazing. You know, the hair, the clothes, you know, they were witty and, 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 and conversationalists. And, um, and uh, the Stones uh, were much more casual, you know, they, they made it look easier than it was, uh, wore whatever they felt like, you know, they were, they were just kind of, uh, you know, uh, Simeon, <laughs> you know, they, were, they were Neanderthals, you know, they were like, you know, just misanthropes, you know, they, they just had this thing about them, you know, that was different and, and, uh, and nothing to do with show business. And, 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 and uh, I said it a million times, but the fact that Mick Jagger didn't smile made a big difference to me because that took it out of show business. Now you're into a lifestyle, you know, whatever these guys were doing, it was a, it was a tribal, you know, it was primitive. It was something that uh, didn't belong in show business, really, you know? Now, they were about to transform show business and bring show business to them, really. Uh, I mean, one of the great extraordinary achievements by the Rolling Stones, which they don't get enough credit for, is crossing over to the pop world. They were never a pop band, you know? But they managed to cross over for 40 years and have hits, you know? So they were kind of dragging show business to them. You know what I mean? They, they were transforming show business for what our idea of show business was. Uh, and the whole British invasion kind of did that, starting with the Beatles. Uh, uh, so, so all of a sudden, we had a band culture. And uh, it wasn't just for those of us who were in a band either. I mean, uh, yeah, you would occasionally go to a drive-in. You know, drive-in theaters were, were big. But if you didn't go to the drive-in, you were going out to see a band, you know, or, or you know, or you're playing in a band. But but uh, but even even regular people were going out to see bands all the time. It became a band culture from the Beatles and from the British Invasion. You know, it completely transformed because it didn't exist before that. I mean, literally didn't exist. You know, and boom, here all of a sudden everybody's in a band, or you're going to see a band, or you know. And that and that would last, uh, you know, uh, in the rock world, to, you know, to this day. I mean, there's not really any solo rock guys. I mean, Bob Dylan, probably the only exception. You know, everybody else, it's really it's really a band culture. You know, it might be somebody and the somebodies, you know, but it's still it's still a band vibe. You know that 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 rock. Uh, that you know that, that makes it pop rock uh, as opposed to pop, you know. So that that never changed. That kind of that kind of was, that change was was kind of permanent. Did you see the Beatles? You saw them at, at Shea, right? Yeah, yeah the see, second time. Yeah. Oh, oh, wait, was that the second one? Was that the one with the remains as one of the opening acts? You know, um, I, I don't think so. Um, I don't remember the opening acts too much. Uh, I think it was the. Um, Red rubber ball. Oh, circle the circle. Yeah, yeah. And uh, some kind of um, some kind of R and B group. I, I don't think it was. I don't think it was King Curtis. Uh, King Curtis might have been on the first first one, but it was some kind of um, you know R and B type of uh, group. And 
I don't know. I, I really don't remember. I should remember. And I don't. I don't think the girl was. A, I don't think it was the Ronettes or the Chiffons. Uh, I, I mix up. I you know. I, I mix up the 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 two the two Shea Stadium shows. But um, I don't. I don't remember. I don't remember really. But I think you know the, the Circle. I think it was and. I'm pretty sure the Remains and the Ronettes for the first time, and maybe King Curtis too, something like that. But oh, man. I don't remember. All I remember is they sounded great to me, and I'm like in a second balcony. Uh, you know, the speakers are like uh, you know toothpicks, <laughs> and uh, they must have been pointed right at me. I don't know what to say. Everybody, everybody was like, all I could hear was screaming. I mean. I, well, I, first of all, I think the screaming was less the second time. And, and, and you know, there was actually, it was not sold out, actually. Um, so it was, not, you know, it was on the way, it was on the way down. But uh, still, there was still screaming. But, uh, but I don't know. I, I, it sounded like the record to me. Speaking of seeing them live, I was lucky enough to be in the audience in 2012 in London when you and Bruce and Paul played a, a slightly abbreviated uh, set in uh, in Hyde Park. That must have been, I know uh, playing with, with Paul is a, is a pivotal scene in, you, in your book. That must be such a great just full circle moment for you. Yeah, that was real closure. That, that's, you know, that was the thing. Uh, but every time, you know, we've done it now three times and... Uh, it's always fun. You know, he's just a fun guy and he's just like, he's just the real thing. You know, he's, he's, you know, he likes to be one of the guys, you know what I mean? You know, and he uh, has a lot of courage. I mean, I mean, coming on stage with the East Street Band was fantastic. And then he invited me and Bruce on stage with him at the garden, which was, again, it was uh, so much fun. But him coming on my stage, uh, <laughs> that's something else, <laughs> you know. Now we're talking about, uh, you know, uh, something that's just profound. And, uh, you know, so much so that you know, it became a big part of the book. But, uh, yeah, he's just, he's just you know, a great and, and, and courageous. I mean, he came on stage with me, no rehearsal, not knowing what we're going to do, uh, you know. Uh, that takes some balls, man. Uh, you know, I'm telling you right now, uh, and a lot of a lot of uh, faith in me, and I really appreciated that kind of blind faith and uh, you know and courage. You know, he's uh, he's he's the real thing. Did you uh, enjoy Get Back the, uh, the documentary? Yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, and I'm I'm glad other people are enjoying it. Um, <laughs> I you know I I, uh, I had a couple, you know, an odd reaction to it I, I, a little a little bit you know but but you know it, it's great and, and I'm, I'm glad you know I think most people are really really enjoying it and uh, and that's what counts you know uh, a little bit you know in some ca- in some ways it's a little bit more than you need to know you know <laughs> uh, <laughs> I like. <laughs> I like the fantasy, you know, and the illusion part of what we do. I think that's more important than reality. Okay. You know what I mean? Uh, that's just me. You know, I, I you know, I, uh, I don't need to know uh, everything, you know, uh, I, I, I like, I, I like the way show business used to handle, uh, 
these kinds of things, you know, back in the old days when, you know, it was all good news, you know. I mean, that was the publicist's job was to make sure it was all good news. And Andrew Lou Goldham uh, single-handedly <laughs> invented bad publicity, you know. <laughs> and... Uh, I'm sure he regrets it now. <laughs> the Stones had some good ones. The Stones had some good, good bad publicity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the but the thing was, you see, they could back it up. You know, they he may have been, you know, getting attention for them, but when he got the attention and people showed up, you know, they delivered. That's the difference. You know, he didn't know he was creating an entire world <laughs> that would depend on bad publicity. As its content, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the bad publicity would become the content of the whole modern world now, you know. And when people tune in, it's just morbid fascination because nothing is going to be delivered. You're not going to get any any insightful content <laughs> anymore from, from this stuff. It's just all bad news. And, uh, and that became trendy somehow. Uh, so it's... Weird, but in the old days, you know, when we were introduced to the British invasion, we all we thought they were all, all best friends, you know. And at one time, they they all were, you know. But um, you know, they started having problems with each other pretty early on. All, all of them, virtually all of them, you know. Uh, whether it's Townsend and Daltrey or the Davis brothers or, you know, <laughs> Mick and Keith or this one and that one, you know, they all started having problems with each other. And, um, and I don't want to know that, you know, I really don't want to know that. Um, cause we bought, we bought the illusion. And like I said, it, it wasn't an illusion at first, you know, I, I think we, it was legitimate, but we were, we were best friends and, and still are. You know, yeah. <laughs> because that was, that's part of the gig. You know what I mean? That The bands are communicating friendship. That's why I wanted to do it, you know? So the concept of being in a band with people you hate, <laughs> you know? It kind of runs contrary to the whole thing. Yeah, you know, it, it makes no sense at all to me, you know? Uh, but at some point, I guess they they just had so much success that they kind of hung in there with each other, you know, Ramones. I, I mean, you know, you name it, right. Uh, you know, clash. I mean, uh, you know, I don't know of any band, uh, very few bands that, that didn't have this problem. I mean, I don't know, maybe you too might be, uh, one of the, one of the few, but, uh, you know, for the most part, it, 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 it's, uh, it's a bit of an, it's a bit of an illusion that, that I found to be extremely inspirational <laughs> And motivational and important. So, uh, you know, when things get a little bit uh, ugly um, and nasty and weird, uh, I really don't want to know about it, you know? 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. There was a... A quote you gave, and I'm trying to remember, I think it was in your book. It was really beautiful. I, I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing something to the effect of art is illusion and delusion and symbolism, and it appeals to your imagination. I hope I'm getting that roughly right, but it was uh, something beautiful I thought you said. It reminds me of, of, sort of what you're hitting on now. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it might have been part of the, uh, our, um, our teachrock.org uh, music history curriculum, perhaps, you know, uh, where I'm talking about the fact that kids bring these gifts with them. You know, they, they bring, you know, uh, the reason why we want to integrate art into the, into the education system is because art is the way in for these kids who bring with them curiosity and imagination and, and, and uh, uh, instinct and emotions. Uh, you don't have to teach anybody that. You know, they come with all those gifts and a typical school um, ignores them or, or squashes them. And, and, our, and our whole philosophy is in, let's encourage that and, and let's connect with that and let's use it. Let's use it. Uh, so our, 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 our integration of art into the public education system is not an after school. It's not an extra class. It's integrating art into science, into math into engineering and into technology, you know, as, as, as an essential part of those disciplines. So, you know, I think that's the future of art uh, in terms of how useful it can be. 
and uh, and that's I think that's probably where you read that. And there, I mean, thinking about it, there are a lot of moments in your book and in your life um, where it felt like you might turn away from music. I mean, you spent years working, you know, on road construction. Was there a moment when you thought? Okay, I think this is going to work out. This 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 music music is is my path. Was there? Do you have any kind of uh, sort of lightning bolt moment where that that kind of made itself known to you? I'm still waiting for that. <laughs> I'm hoping next week. <laughs> um, I mean, it's a little bit complicated, but but basically. Um, we 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 finally uh, the darkness on the edge of town tour, while not successful, started to have momentum. You know, we started to feel like we just may be past the point where we're not going to succeed. You know, and, and and then the river the river was that moment for when when we had the hit single. And the hit album, and you're selling out arenas, and at that point you've arrived. You know, now I only enjoyed that moment for a year, and then I left the band. You know, which you know, one of the great career moves of all time. Uh, as I, I go into great detail about, uh, but but um, that was the only moment, really, and it was brief, where I felt successful, and. Um, you know, both artistically and commercially, you know, and that's, you know, we're always trying to balance that art and commerce thing. <laughs> but as it turns out, my life ends up being uh, the triumph of art over commerce. <laughs> 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 you know, <laughs> I'm still able to somehow make records and tour and, um, you know, nothing I do makes money. So it's uh, it's kind of its own uh, its own sort of success in some bizarre way, but uh, the amazing you know for me what's important is the work getting done somehow, and uh, so yeah I, I never really uh, um, uh, and, and, and even in my in the acting thing, um, especially with Lilyhammer I mean when I became a writer on Lilyhammer, you know the first thing I did was I said you know the guy's going to open a club. So we can put music in it, you know. I'm gonna put all my bands on my record label in it, and you know, and and, and others, uh, and uh, so the music thing. Um, even if I'm not doing it, you know, full time, you know, even if I'm acting and or writing and producing TV, uh, the music thing will always play an important role. Um, the only reason why it didn't on Sopranos is because David Chase was just so into it himself. You know, he, you know, that's his favorite thing was. Uh, was you know being his own music supervisor really you know and um, to this day if you ask him you know what's his favorite thing he'll tell you you know doing the music um, so he'd occasionally come to me if he needed something new you know because uh, once uh, uh, Adriana opened uh, the club you know in in, in uh, Sopranos uh, you know occasionally we need a band you know playing. So he'd come to me for something like that, but mostly he did he did almost all the music. Uh, but when I did Lilyhammer, uh, I did all the music, uh, and uh, and that was uh, and that's fun. That is that is the fun part, you know, one, one of the most most fun parts of uh, of producing TV. 
So, so even when, even when I was acting, you know, I still had the music thing was still part of my life, and uh, you know, I'm sure it always will be. I think I read somewhere that you've got a lot of scripts in the can. What's the the latest with those? I mean, reading your book, I just it, it it's it's a natural. It's so cinematic. Of course, you've got a bunch of scripts in the works. But what's the latest with those? I haven't connected yet. You know, um, I went down the road with a couple of them, pretty far, but nothing yet. And at this point, you know, the last year or so, um, well, well, ever since we did Letter to You, which was right before the quarantine. It's like two years already, right? Jesus. Wow, yeah. yeah. Um, um, at that point, you know what I mean? I was like, I can't really commit to anything. So um, I'm going to pull back a little bit here. Uh, I want to give Bruce first priority if he wants to go out, which uh, is still being decided. And it better be decided soon. Um, but if he wants to go out, you know, I'm going to do that. Uh, you know, and have to, and I'll wait. I'll wait another two years, uh, which was what the tour would probably be, uh, and then get back on TV. But I want to get back on TV. I really miss it. I, I really do. When I and I do, I have five scripts and twenty-five wow. treatments. Yeah, yeah. I got lots of lots of ideas. You know, and I think, uh, and I think I know what I'm doing too. I mean, you know, I mean, uh, I watch a lot of TV and. Uh, I'm not crazy about much of it, you know, that I see. And I think I know why, you know what I mean? So I, it, there's a certain certain thing going on, I think, on, on most of the new TV shows that uh, uh, I think I, I think I, I think I know why uh, people are not, you know, there's, there's not that many hits anymore. You know, there's yeah. getting a lot of quantity, you know, but it's not a lot of real quality where people are um, dedicated to a show, you know. You're not seeing that too often. And I think I know why, but uh, we'll see. We'll see. Oh, that's so exciting. Of course, you've got your radio show, which, I mean, is, you mentioned earlier, is introduced you know, over a thousand bands. I mean, it is a, a huge inspiration to me personally. I had a college radio show, which was basically a, a pale imitation of your show playing, you know, obscure, you know, Mersey Beat garage band girl group stuff. Um, I, have, I have a question for you. You're going to hang up on me when I ask you this question. I, I play this game in my head sometimes when on, you know, long car drives or something. I'm curious what, what your answer would be. What do you think is, is the, the best year in rock and roll history? Oh, uh, yeah. That comes up, you know, through the years. It's a tough one. Um, I think you could make a case for uh, either, you know, 65, 66, or 67. Um, you know, they're all a little different. But uh, I think you can make a case for each of those, each one of those years, you know. For me, I don't know. I love the psychedelic stuff. I really do. So I might go that way. But uh, 66 is known as the garage rock year where you had a lot of the so-called one-hit wonders, you know, happen. You know, the most of the, uh, you know, the Friday on my mind and the talk talked and the and the, you know, Journey to the center of the mind and uh, yeah, you know, uh, 13th floor elevators and ain't got nothing yet. Then, yeah, you know what I mean? Uh, those yeah. kind of uh, you know, 
psychotic reactions and uh, you know uh, dirty water and you know you know a lot of those nuggets. They're basically the the, the nuggets yeah. that that uh, you know it's arguable, but that for me either either one of those three years. Oh man, yeah, my, I'm a I'm a '66 guy myself. Uh, that's yeah. I mean, Stan, Standell's 13th floor elevators of seeds. Not to mention, you know, Pet Sounds and Blonde on Blonde and Parsley Sage was married time. I mean, you can go on and on. Exactly. Oh. Yeah, yeah. It was quite a good year, and uh, but you know, you can make an argument for each one of those. <laughs> oh man, I sorry, I could talk to you all day. I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I guess my my place to close on. I mean. You're such an inspiration because because you do so much. I mean, you you are are active in in creating music, in helping other people share their music, and helping young people starting out as kids trying to learn an instrument, trying to help enrich these arts programs, fighting for, for political justice. I guess my question is, I mean, what keeps you hungry? You know, I mean, even just preparing to speak to you today, I must have seen you've done 30, 40, 50 interviews for your new book. I mean, just, it just seems like you have just the most tireless work ethic. What keeps you excited? Um, I, I think everything I do. Uh, you know, I'm not sure there's any one thing, but uh, I like, you know, I, I, I love everything I do. I'm very lucky. I mean, I, not only am I in the luckiest generation, <laughs> I think I'm the luckiest guy in the luckiest generation. <laughs> you know, uh, this happened to be in the right place at the right time. You know, with uh, with with Sopranos, and 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 then you know we were, we were the first show on Netflix with Lilyhammer. You know, uh, making history again. Uh, happened to make that move on South Africa at a time when we were able to do it. We couldn't do it now. Yeah, couldn't do it. You know, so um, some things have had good timing, you know, some good timing. And, uh, you know, I don't know. Um, I, I just kind of like I, I like creating and, and uh, there's nothing more fun than that. You know, you're just creating. A, you know, I want to I want to do some TV shows, you know, that I have in my head. And uh, uh, I got a couple of movies in my head and. and uh uh, you know, I, I like I like presenting. You know, a touring thing. We you know we used to do a touring thing with Wicked Cool, where we would have um, four bands touring the country, one from each generation. You know, now we you know there's even more generations now, but uh, you know we'd have a '60s band, a '70s band, '80s band, a '90s band. You know, and I thought that was really cool. We had a way of having that funded you know, by sponsors and. Uh, you know, I like to do more and more, more of the live things. I, I, I like producing live stuff, which I very rarely do. You know, I've done a few things in, in my life. I mean, most notably, my Broadway show was the thing I'm probably most proud of uh, artistically, where you get a chance to use all of it. You know what I mean? I, mm -hmm. I like I like using all of it. Yes, I love music, but it's just one part of the, of, of the big picture. You know, I, I love... I love the set design. I like, I love lighting. I, I love wardrobe. I love choreography. You know, I, I like, you know, so, um, you know, I kind of missed my, you know, my ideal gig would have been a more of a Diaghilev or a Bob Fosse. <laughs> or, you know, I think that's what I should have been. You know, I kind of went sideways with the rock and roll thing, but, uh, uh, you know, so I I I enjoy uh, 
I enjoy the multiple, you know, the multiple art forms coming together. You know what I mean? Uh, that to me is 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 what it's all about. Um, which was which is why you know I'm drawn to TV or movies because you you get to combine all of those art forms. You know what I mean? Mm. You get to combine, you know, the, the art design and and and, and wardrobe and you know and and and, and music and and you know. Uh, cinematography and you know, all of those, all of those different disciplines, you know, coming together to make this incredible uh, art form. So, uh, I, I, I really haven't done as much of that as I would like. So, I probably would, would do more of that if I could. Oh, I can't wait to see what uh, what you have in the works. Thank you so much for your time today, and especially your music and just. All you've done, I absolutely adored the book. I can't wait for uh, for more people to check it out. Thank you so so much. Thank you, my friend. Great talking to you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Inside the Studio, a production of iHeartRadio. For more episodes of Inside the Studio or other fantastic shows, check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.